KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. A new school year is quickly approaching. Districts are putting forth plans on how to safely educate students in the midst of a pandemic. Now, for those schools that are going to welcome students back in person in some way, there's the added question of transportation, getting some kids to school on buses, and that raises a whole new set of concerns. Concerns that a task force has tried to help address. The Student Transportation Aligned for Return to School, or the STARTS Task Force, was formed as a partnership of the three leading school transportation industry organizations, National School Transportation Association, National Association for Pupil Transportation, and the National Association of State Directors of Pupil Transportation Services. Try saying that three times fast. Jim Regan and Tim Ammon are the co-managers of the task force, and I spoke to them about keeping school transportation safe in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. Give a listen. Yeah, my name is Jim Regan. I'm the managing partner of a company based in the Chicago area called Capital Works Consulting Group. Uh, my name is Tim Ammon. I am the co-owner of Decision Support Group uh, based in Rockville, Maryland. All right, Tim, we'll start with you. How concerned as we get ready to go back to school in the fall should parents be about uh, putting a, their kid on a school bus in the middle of a pandemic? My sense is that they shouldn't be any more concerned about putting them on the bus as they are about sending them to school. I think that transportation folks are doing everything they can to coordinate with education staff and public health officials and their state and national associations to gather as much information on what the right cleaning protocols are, on what the right practices are for managing the the, board, the onboarding and the offloading of students and incorporating things like physical distancing and masks and and those kinds of, of operational and equipment-related details that are designed to do what they can to protect the health and safety of kids in the same way that they're trying to do it in the classroom. Jim, what are some of the, the things you're hearing as far as conversations with parents, school districts, uh, as far as the way they're approaching this concern, stuff like that? The guideline is what you do at home and what you do in your community uh, it just gets extended into the school environment. So I think uh, schools that are starting uh, this late, uh, the kids are used to wearing masks, so they wear the mask to the bus stop. You, know, you apply social distancing in the food store or when you go out, you have to apply social distancing uh, at a bus stop. You know, the schools are trying to optimize uh, social distancing on buses, but I think because of some financial concerns, it's not going to be a perfect situation on a school bus, but if they attempt to uh, limit capacity to 50% and the kids wear masks, I think they'll be okay. But I know that all the transportation departments, uh, in terms of disinfecting and cleaning, conforming to the guidelines as much as they can, will be the norm. Tim, how much of a hurdle for school districts is this going to be financially? Because I would imagine it's going to require more hours for bus drivers because less kids, the disinfecting, stuff like that. I mean, how much of a concern is that? I think it's a significant concern. And I think the concerns are essentially in a couple of different dimensions. The, the first set of concerns are just around what I would describe as the additional costs. And the additional costs being things such as 
equipping drivers with PPE, equipping district staff if they're mechanics or office staff with PPE and and providing hand sanitizer and additional cleaning supplies that are going to be necessary to clean all the surfaces. You know, and I think those things are are specific to added costs related to responding to the virus. I think additional costs beyond that are some of the operational changes that districts are making. So, for example, if you're in a hybrid schedule, um, it's likely that there will be additional costs associated with some of the items you mentioned around driver time and operating costs from additional mileage and fuel and all those other components of it, which, to be perfectly honest, I don't think anybody's got a great guess at right now, other than knowing it's likely to be more than it has been. The, The possible exception to that is districts that are starting on a remote-only schedule and then picking up on some other kind of schedule going forward. You know, the question for them will be what's the what's the net in terms of the days where systems not running versus the changes in the system once it comes. And I think one of the things that we've cautioned folks about is to not only be concerned about the expenditure side of the house, but from an educational leadership perspective at the state and local level. They also need to be concerned about the revenue side, which is essentially state reimbursement and the process related to state reimbursement and how choices around school model and and opening model is going to affect the process of accounting for reimbursement. So, for example, in a state like Pennsylvania, where you're counting kids um, on a particular day, if I'm in a remote only environment when those kids were traditionally supposed to be counted, what does that mean to me? Right. That's a question that PDE is going to have to resolve that they've been working on resolving for the last you know, five months or so as, as those same questions emerged in the springtime. Um, but, but there is still a lot of uncertainty around both the, the expenditure side and the revenue side. Jim, we've looked at this so far from the standpoint of parents and students and stuff. Have you guys heard a lot from bus drivers, concerns that, that they have of uh, – how everything's being handled, stuff like that? Uh, I think, yes. <laughs> uh, and because when we look at, uh, you know, the health and safety, uh, it includes everybody. It includes staff, it includes drivers, bus monitors, as well as the students. What I've seen happening in districts, a lot of districts have been out in front um, and they've communicated what their safety program for drivers you know, is going to be. Because older drivers who are high risk uh, due to COVID, you know, they may not come back. Um, same thing with teachers, uh, the age factor. So a lot of districts are really you know, doing an outreach program to indicate what their uh, pandemic program is and their safety program is just to help retain drivers. I think if there's a, a, a subset of concerns, it's with the handling of special needs students where you know, additional PPE, uh, where you're actually going to have a physical contact with a special needs student or a wheelchair student, those are positions um, that if you had an elderly driver, you might want to move them to a different position just to, because of the risk of, uh, of, of working with children that closely uh, against their age factor. So a lot of districts are doing that kind of age versus risk assessment when they look at their role uh, within transportation. And just to follow up, Jim, have you come across districts 
in your role that are struggling to fill positions as bus drivers because of these concerns? Thus far, no. I mean, there was a, a general you know, shortage of drivers before the pandemic came. And I'm sure in some districts out there, it has been exasperated. You know, in, the, in the clients that I work with in Indiana, uh, Ohio, and Illinois, you know, the district seemed to be holding their own. And I think part of that is due to the, uh, the job market overall you know, has dissipated. So there's not a lot of alternative opportunities for a lot of these drivers to find employment elsewhere. So the comment I hear a lot is, you know, kind of the bird in the hand comment where, you know, I'll go back to work. Um, you know, I'll, I'll try it for two or three months. Uh, I think after two or three months of transportation, um, there could be a bubble where drivers will actually, you know, once they're in the role for a while, they'll ascertain their risk or they'll look around and say, hey, you know, uh, what's the infection rate of drivers that emerges from transporting uh, students? And I think once we're into the operational mode, the infection rates may actually determine you know, how many drivers actually stay on the job. Same question to you, Tim. Yeah, I think um, I, I certainly concur with what Jim was saying in terms of I think there will be a series of choices being made by particularly some of the, the drivers in the more high-risk cohorts. Um, we have heard some of our customers indicating that, that what they're getting is something in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 percent of drivers not coming back um, and, and citing specifically concerns around the virus relative to that. But I do think the question, uh, the, the, the choice by a lot of districts to go to remote only start becomes a challenge on two fronts from a driver standpoint. It may give them some comfort that when they come back, the scope of the virus and, the, and how to manage and protect staff will be more well-defined and more well-understood. But it's also the nature of the driving business that a lot of these folks um, are, are not going to be able to just remain out of work for another two or three months. And so there's a component of that, that driver cohort that is going to go look for alternative employment because they have to because school hasn't started. And so so I, I don't know that we're gonna know the full scale of what the impact is, both implicit and explicit, until a lot of the remote only school districts begin to start their on-campus learning processes, whether it's full on campus or hybrid or, or some combination. And Tim, we talked a lot about what we're looking for. Are there any recommendations we haven't touched on that you've, you're giving districts to, to keep everybody safe? Anything we haven't touched on yet? I think the biggest thing that we've seen is, and the biggest recommendation that we're making to people is, there has to be two elements to the process. The process has to be structured so that people understand what it is we're going to look for and how we're going about looking at it from the perspective of transportation staff and, and the use of transportation services. And I think the second thing is it has to be well communicated. And I think to date, because there's been so much uncertainty, the scope and the clarity of the communication hasn't necessarily always been what we would expect it, what we would want it to be, because there are, there were and remain still so many unknowns. Uh, but I think, you know, in considering all of the different constituent groups around schools, it's really important for parents and teachers and administrators and staff to be able to, to plan 
in some way. And if there's a, a continuing response that says, we don't know yet, but we're going to decide, and there's no date certain by that decision-making process, it makes it really difficult for everybody to start to return to or to create even some new normalcy for themselves. So if there's one thing that we would suggest to people is that uh, the scope and clarity of the communications, I think, is something that, that I would focus on intensely over the next 60 days in particular, given you know, some of the combination of, of remote school and, and hybrid learning environments that are that are out there in, in and around, particularly in and around the Delaware Valley. Same to you, Jim. Are there any uh, things you would like to pass along that we haven't touched on as far as uh, recommendations? You know, I look at the NBA and, you know, the NBA is in their bubble. Um, and, you know, bubble is one of the new vernacular terms. But uh, you almost have to think sort of a bubble mentality that, and, and who makes the decisions are the two things. But when a parent sends their child to the bus stop, it starts there. It's social distancing at the bus stop. You know, you know, and people have to not only do what they have to do to protect their children, but they have to respect what other parents uh, want to do as well. So I think there's this dynamic about you know, almost educating your children as to uh, how to keep themselves safe. Uh, and I think... And the younger the kids get, maybe the more training they're going to need. But I think to have both the parent reinforce uh, all of the new procedures that will happen at a school is going to be essential. It can't be the school saying one thing and the parent saying something else. So alignment uh, between parent and school and procedure, I think, is going to be essential. And additional investment in training and orientating the kids uh, to follow these new procedures uh, will contribute to the overall safety of everybody. To wrap this up, Tim, this is an unprecedented situation. We haven't had a pandemic like this in a century. But when you're putting together recommendations, when you're working with the school districts, were there pages out of other situational playbooks that were able to be looked at to kind of, yes, might not have been a pandemic, but we had to do some of X, Y, and Z in this situation, and it'll help here. Were there any other situations you were able to grab uh, some some guidance from? Yeah, and I think that's an important thing, right? That, that there's a ton of uncertainty, but it's not all unknown, right? And I think what we saw in particular, if you think about some of the split schedules and some of the techniques that, that districts are using in order to educate kids, th those are not foreign to transportation services. You know, there's been there's been morning and afternoon kindergartens forever, right? Now, in a lot of places, they've gone to full day K, but but people understand what a uh, transition in the middle of the day is from a transportation perspective. That doesn't make it easy, but certainly people understand how to do it, and it's a question of scaling it up. And I think it's the same thing with with dealing with A and B day schedules. Um, there, there certainly is just the the question of how does a program that typically might have been 100 kids scale to 5,000 kids, and systemically are we prepared for that? But but I think from a mindset standpoint, there's a lot of those things that can get drawn on. And, and I think even some of the history around it, and while it's always contentious. You know, some of the weather history around school transportation, you know, when to call snow days and how to manage that and how to deal with late starts and how to deal with early finishes. You know, that flexibility um, that has to be built systemically into transportation is something that can be leveraged here. And, and I think we've seen examples of customers who are and, and districts around the country who are doing that successfully. 
Um, so, so I think while, you know, while there is a tremendous amount of, of uncertainty, there isn't an absence of knowledge. And it would, what we have recommended to everybody is it, it behooves every district out there to leverage all of the knowledge of the staff that they have, whether it's in the educational community or in the support services community, um, to, to try to be able to build ways to respond to this thing. Because, yeah, it's unprecedented in terms of its specificity, but, it, it, but some of the responses are not unique. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 